T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. All right, my dear friends, a very pleasant good evening and welcome to the Hurricane Hotline. We've got a big show lined up for you tonight. University of Miami basketball coach Jim Laranega joins us momentarily. Also coming up on the show, Don Bailey Jr. joins us, and we will talk about offseason football. Bob Bolden also will be with us, Hurricanes uh, safety, who is coming back for another year. And then the 300-game winner, Katie Meyer, joins us as well tonight. So we'll talk about Katie Meyer, reflect on her career and uh, the big win she had over Florida State and reaching a milestone 300 career wins at the University of Miami. And then we'll wrap things up with Gino Damari. Baseball season is knocking on the door. A week from Friday, the Hurricanes will be in Gainesville on February the 19th to open up the baseball season against the Florida Gators. Joining us right now, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Coach L, good evening to you. Hi, Joe. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I was just thinking the only good thing that's come out of COVID, I think so far, is they have to schedule some of these basketball games in the daytime. So I watched Notre Dame <laughs> and Duke the other day. I'm watching Providence and UConn. I get basketball in the afternoon. Other than that, I can't think of a single good thing. Yeah, what did you think of that Duke-Notre Dame game? Man, that was an uh, uh, interesting affair. And uh, Duke could not slow down Notre Dame, who, when they get hot, especially uh, Prentice Hubs, when he gets hot, he made a three uh, from Chapel Hill that I think was a real backbreaker for them. But a very good, entertaining, high offensive uh, showdown. That's your next opponent, by the way. Yeah, what a shootout. Notre Dame playing uh, offense at a very, very high level. Duke has now lost three in a row. When's the last time you ever heard of Duke losing three straight conference games? Yeah, they are uh, definitely on the outside looking in in terms of uh, postseason. I want to ask you about what happened with Carolina in, in just one moment. But while we have a more broader view, 13, the 13 most winningest programs in, in NCAA basketball are facing a situation where they might not be in the tournament. What do you think has happened to some of the, the Blue Blood teams? COVID. Yeah. COVID has prevented teams from practicing the way they normally do, the teams developing the way they normally do, uh, the players improving during the course. A lot of these Blue Bloods have a lot of freshmen. 
not only on their roster, but in their lineups. And those kids are counted on. And when you do not have uh, spring training, you do not have as summer workouts and kids who would have shown up right after their, they graduated from high school. They come into your basketball program. They work against your older guys. That didn't happen this summer. And then guys, like in Duke's case, they didn't even play non-conference after, I forget how many non-conference games they played, but it, it was just a couple, just a few. And uh, then Coach K said, hey, we're not playing any more non-conference games. So when you practice as little as teams are practicing, uh, you don't improve like you normally do. And uh, you're still playing against other good teams. So uh, those, those traditionally strong programs are having the kind of year basically that we're having. Our, our circumstances are different because ours are due to injuries of missing players due to an ankle sprain or a back or a pulled hamstring, broken foot knee surgery. So we've had a lot of injuries that have complicated our year. Um, I heard this floated out there the other day about the lack of holdovers in college basketball. And there was a time when guys left early for the NBA. Now uh, agents or whoever gets into the ear of a player, they leave after their freshman year, their sophomore year. They're not ready for the NBA. They go to Europe. It's one foot in in college basketball, one foot out. And along those lines, a reminder to me was, since we didn't have our game on Monday night, there was a replay of the 98 ACC semifinals between North Carolina and Maryland. And I looked at it and went, oh, my God, look at the size of these players, the maturity they have, uh, the lack of holdovers. How much do you think that's hurting college basketball? Oh, I, I think it's the culture has changed dramatically. My coaching staff and I had a discussion today about how the NCAA tournament, I believe it was 1996, the last national championship game that was played uh, at a, an arena instead of a football stadium. And there were maybe 19,000 people there. Now there's 75,000 people at a the Final Four. And the difference is the amount of money then becomes uh, humongous that the NCAA is making billions of dollars. The NBA is paying its players millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. And families with young basketball players in their uh, uh, league the parents are saying, hey, if my son can get to the NBA, he can make these millions. And so what happens is that becomes the goal, like as a ninth grader, the only thing you're thinking about is how quickly can I get to the NBA? So kids, they, they get to freshman year in college, and, and uh, the uh, – uh, excuse me, Joe. My wife is making some noise and distracting us. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on um, now. <laughs> so uh, what happens is they get to their freshman year, and no matter if they're good or okay, average, if they're playing for one of those blue blood programs, they automatically think, well, my next stop is the NBA. They don't realize 
how difficult it is to play in the NBA and how good you have to be to play in the ACC. And if you're a freshman, you come into a team that has veteran players, chances are you have to wait your turn. And back when I was an assistant coach at Virginia, Joe, everybody waited their turn. You know, Michael Jordan didn't go pro until after his junior year. Sam Perkins stayed for his senior year. James Worthy, his junior year. Ralph Sampson, four years in college at UVA. Tim Duncan, four years at Wake Forest. Lenny Bias, three years at Maryland. All these guys were staying in school and getting physically, mentally, and emotionally mature so that when they got to the NBA, they were ready. And, you know, Ralph Sampson, Rookie of the Year, Tim Duncan, Rookie of the Year, Michael Jordan, uh, I think he was Rookie of the Year. Maybe Hakeem Elijah one was. Hakeem stayed all four years. So there's such a different culture now. It's it's like, hey, I got to get there as quickly as I can. Well, I think that's why you see uh, some of these mid-majors, again, are going to be dominant. You have teams like Drake that were undefeated. Uh, we're very familiar, of course, with Loyola Chicago, and uh, they're 17-3. and I think it is this year. And by the way, they saw that guy, Krutwig, is still playing on their team. That, that center oh, that yeah. played against us, uh, he's still on the team. And uh, he looked like he was 35 years old when we played him. Uh, so I, I do think that's... You know, you're going to see that that trend continue. All right, let's go back to uh, Monday, uh, your pregame meal, I suppose. We're getting ready for the game. I'm settling in in Watsco Center, getting ready to call the game, and a video appears, and all of a sudden the dominoes start to fall about whether or not there's going to be a basketball game. Can you take us through uh, what your feelings were? Well, I was at the pregame meal eating, and Bill Courtney said to me, Coach, have you heard about the Carolina players' um, being at a party after the Duke game uh, without masks on. I said, no, I hadn't heard of that. Corey Kaplan, our trainer, walked up and said, hey, there's a video. Do you want to see it? That On a cell phone, those videos are so small, I, I, I couldn't tell anything. So Corey said, well, they got a number of players at a party, and this video was taken during the party. So I said, Corey, please call Blake James and see what our university's position is on playing against players who broke the ACC protocol. So Corey called Blake. I excused myself from the pregame deal. I went up to my hotel room and I called Blake and I just asked Blake if he would call the president of the university and our medical staff that's in charge of COVID-19 and ask their position on whether or not we should play the game. But while I was on the phone with Blake, my phone rang, and it was Nasir Brooks, one of our seniors. I asked Blake to just hold on because I was expecting Nasir to maybe be calling me about the Carolina situation. Nasir called me and said, Coach, look at, have you heard about the Carolina players being at a party without masks? I said, yeah, I'm on the phone with Blake James about it. He said, well, I just want you to know. I'm not comfortable with playing tonight. I, I, I'm just not, not going to play. I have been hibernating, quarantining. I've been uh, living alone. I don't go out. I don't do anything. Uh, I have not had COVID. I don't want to get COVID. Uh, so I hope you'll understand my position. 
And I said, let me call you back and share that with Blake James. So I told Blake, and he and I discussed it, he was going to reach out to the North Carolina people. It was one of the things at that point we hadn't heard from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't get a call, or, or uh, Blake James did not get a call or any update. We had no idea. He did not know what was going on until I told him, and I did not know what was going on until Bill Courtney told me. So um, I then reached out to my staff and said, get all the players together. We're going to have a team meeting because I want to know how our players are feeling and what they're thinking. We went downstairs to a meeting room. Everybody wore their masks. We've been social distancing. And I asked them if they knew what was going on. And they all said they did. They watched the video. And they, they, I said, well, how many of you want to play and how many of you are uncomfortable with playing against them? And Nasir Brooks said, I'm uncomfortable playing, coach. I told you that. The players then responded, well, I think we should all play or none of us play because it's just not right. We, we've got to be a team, and we've got to be together. So we, we talked a little bit further about what would happen if we chose not to play the game. And just then, Blake James called. And I told Blake that the players are feeling like they do not want to play because they've sacrificed so much. We have not had a single player test positive. We've not had a single coach or manager test positive. Why would we put ourselves in position to be with people who more than likely someone at that party uh, will test positive this week? And then the contact tracing comes in. And then all of a sudden, we'll fall into that protocol. In addition to that, our trainer said, you know, if they did get it, in, in all likelihood, it wouldn't show up until they're tested maybe four or five days later. You don't get it on a, a Saturday night and it tests a positive Sunday morning. It, you could test positive Wednesday or Thursday. So... Then it became uh, a conversation with Blake James, and he said, I'm going to get the athletic director of North Carolina, the head coach, Roy Williams of North Carolina, and a representative of the ACC all on the line for a conference call. And then on the conference call, uh, we told them our position. They told us their position, which I was – I was a little surprised and, quite frankly, disappointed that they didn't call us on Sunday to say that they were researching this. Mm -hmm. They had the information. They saw the video and didn't didn't reach out to Blake or me or anybody uh, uh, in our uh, athletic department to say, look, there was a party. Players attended. They didn't have masks. Um, What do you want to do? Because if that had been the case, we would have had our meeting back in Miami and then made the decision not to go. The timing of, of it was we called them on, on Monday at 4 o'clock from the pregame meal and said, hey, what's going on? And that's when the decision was made that we informed them that our players were not comfortable playing. So we uh, we move forward. We uh, 
you have a game scheduled for Sunday at Notre Dame. So, so far, it appears you're in good hands. Uh, do you think you'll get another ACC game, a game in North Carolina, or just that game uh, becomes a uh, cancellation? Um, oh. I, I'm not an administrator. Yeah. So, I, I, my own personal feelings is we went there to play the game – was put off for COVID reasons. We're not likely to play that game this year. Right. Okay. Um, and then uh, I guess you, you've gone back to practice now, right? Or have you brought the team back to practice or just taken a couple days to rest? No, you know, Joe, we've had all those injuries. Yeah. We felt that it was better to give the guys several more days off. Chris Light is working on rehabbing that sprained ankle of his. We're hoping to get him back maybe as soon as Sunday. Uh, Elijah Owani, he's got a a very sore shoulder. Uh, We wanted to give that time to heal. So, Joe, excuse me, I'm going to have to sneeze. Hang on. Okay. Bless you. (laughs) Did you hear that? Uh, I did, and bless you. Yeah, I just blew my brains out. <laughs> so, well. uh, I, I think it's best for us to try to just get healthy, as healthy as we possibly can be. Okay. All right, we're going to take a, take a break here. Then we're going to come back and we'll talk about uh, Notre Dame and, and the ACC, where we are, where everybody is in the ACC. We'll talk about the Fighting Irish, uh, that game coming up on Sunday. Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagaki. All right, with the University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega, we have a game scheduled for Sunday against Notre Dame at Notre Dame, 6 o'clock tip-off. We'll be on the air at 5.30. We did have a game a week ago. It was a whale of a game against Virginia Tech. Overtime thriller. Uh, heartbreaker, Coach. I think their guy stepped out of bounds, by the way. But uh, nonetheless, your team really battled in that game against Virginia Tech. Uh, that was a heck of a defensive effort at the beginning of the game and two teams that really battled at the end of the game. Well, Joe, um I thought the defense to start that game by both teams was really outstanding. I thought Virginia Tech guarded us better than any team we've played so far this year, and I thought we guarded them uh, probably as good as we could. And the uh, second half, uh, they, they offensively, they were sensational. We couldn't guard them. And they, they uh, got an 11-point lead. And we switched our defense, went to a, a zone uh, trap at midcourt. And they started rushing, making some mistakes. We went on a run, tied the game off, and it seesawed back in the last few minutes. We were able – Isaiah Wong hit a three-point shot with 14 seconds to go. It looked like that might be the, the game winner. And, uh, and then uh, – Virginia Tech came down. There was there was a, uh, a foul call uh, on a block shot. Uh, the guy made uh, a free throw. I'm getting the sequence a little bit wrong, Joe, but it ended up 
We were up three with two seconds to go. They threw it to midcourt, and we batted it out of bounds. And then they threw it to a, a shooter who made an incredible three. But as you mentioned, I didn't see it during the game, but everybody told me afterwards that he stepped out of bounds. So uh, kind of a controversial way for regulation to end. Uh, we didn't do a great job in the overtime of making shots. And Virginia Tech won. Our last three games with them have all come down to the last shot of the game. Yeah. Uh, we won a triple overtime game there last year. Uh, we had a shot at the buzzer to beat them there at their place this year. And then they made the, the game-tying three with two seconds to go. So – they, they had about everything. They had about everything go right in that last two point five seconds because uh, we batted the ball out of bounds. Perhaps just letting it go, it would have been out of bounds on them. And then on the inbounds, they were on the near side of the floor, which the left side, which turns out to be the right side for them. The way Katora came around off the screen, which uh, was a demolition derby. I guess they probably weren't going to call that either. Kind of like a uh, corner kick in soccer, but. Uh, two guys got picked off, and uh, Couture makes the shot to send it into overtime. Yeah, the uh, a couple of officials that I that I know uh, said, "Hey, that that screen, uh, there's a name for it. It's called bowling." And <laughs> what does that mean? He said, "Well, the screen knocked down two of your players, yeah. like bowling pins." So. Uh, very, very frustrating, very disappointing. Uh, but I'll tell you this, like I told you, uh, I thought our spirits were good on Sunday. The guys got on the plane and went up to Carolina with the idea we were going to play a great game. Yeah, that game also, you know, the Carolina game, one of the interesting numbers that I thought was going to come into play was uh, a margin of victory. And both Miami and Carolina play in the house of close games. The margin of victory is like three points uh, for both sides. So I thought that would have been a, a very close game. We move on to Notre Dame. Uh, they're coming off the great shootout. What, what, what do you think about uh, uh, slowing down Notre Dame now? And, and the guy that really scores for them, I think it's pro- probably been a bit of a problem, has been Prentice Hubs. Yeah, they, they lost, um, let me see, six of their first, uh, seven conference games. And now they've won uh, four, five of their last, uh, let me see, five of their last seven. So they're playing much better than they did early in the ACC regular season. They're shooting the ball better than anybody in our conference. Uh, last night, Cormac Ryan uh scored 21 in the first half alone and was nailing threes and layups and runners just having a tremendous all-around game uh there's there's several things that run through uh my mind and 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 discussing it with my coaches number one we must be able to guard their three-point shooting better we haven't been able to do it all year long but uh we feel like if we can't do that, it's just very hard to slow them down. The second is we have to figure out a way uh, to attack that zone effectively. Now, the difference being, if we have Chris Likes back, 
he can be a one-man zone buster. And we've got Cam McGussie back now. So um, hopefully we'll just be better prepared against the zone because we have two terrific three-point shooters. Right. Um, the, the big guy, well, they got uh, Jawan Durham, and then uh, Lasuski's has had himself a heck of a season as well. He's number one in the league in uh, field goal percentage, so he's a handful, isn't he? Well, we recruited John Durham out of high school. He's an in-state kid from Tampa. He signed with UConn, had two years at UConn, uh, damaged both his knees, had to have surgery, I think, on each knee. Uh, he became available in the transfer and called us first. Uh, I thought we would have had a great shot of getting him, except we had just gotten uh, Dan Gack and, and uh, Sam Wardenberg. So if you look at it, how about – uh, between those between those three players, Dan Gack has missed uh, two full three full seasons. Sam Wardenberg one, and uh, Juwan Durham I think two. So injuries are playing such a big role. But as you said, Juwan Durham is playing very well. He's a a, a real threat in around the basket when they run their pick and roll. He's such a big target and can dunk the ball easily when he catches it on the roll. He has a nice 15-foot jump shot, uh, and he's gotten bigger and stronger. The best part for him is he's got Prentice Hub at the point, throwing him all those great passes, and he's got a bunch of three-point shooters around him to give him a lot of space. Uh, the other things, Coach, about Notre Dame in the past, I guess actually carrying over into this year, one – they rarely foul, right? They don't foul you a lot. So is it tougher to get to the free throw line against them? And two, their passing game, they throw the easy pass, don't they? Well, you mentioned two things, and those are two very important reasons why they win. I think Mike Ray, Mike Ray has made a point of telling his team, don't get in foul trouble, don't foul out. All right? So for the four perimeter players, even if they get beat, they're not going to foul you. They're going to leave it up to Jawan Durham to challenge your shot, either block it or make you miss. But they're not going to foul. Offensively, they probably have more offensive skill at each position than any, any team in the league. So what that says is you can't leave any of their perimeter players open because they can all nail threes. Well, uh, what are your thoughts on the rest of the league? As we get to the weekend, it's going to be a big weekend of basketball, some uh, big games tonight. Virginia's back in action. But uh, on the weekend, Florida State returns to play. Uh, Louisville and Virginia Tech, that could be a whale of a game. Uh, those two teams are at the top of the league. And uh, interesting, if you look at the standings, it's Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Louisville. And then, you know, at the bottom, as we mentioned, Duke's kind of stuck there. You're, you're right behind Duke, uh, so you got a chance to catch Duke. But at the top, the top four, uh, Cavaliers, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Louisville. Yeah, one of the things you know, until uh, yesterday um, or Monday, we had played every uh, game on our schedule. There was no postponements, no uh, cancellations. We had played 18 games. Only Virginia Tech and North Carolina had played as many games as we did. Everybody else had had a game or two postponed or canceled. So 
we feel good that our players were very responsible and staying safe and, and not getting COVID or being around anybody that had COVID. And uh, these teams, Virginia, having another great year, 9-1, and one, you know, they still are the defending champion. <laughs> True, yeah, because they, years. <laughs> yeah. And then Florida State uh, is 6-2 and two right behind them, Virginia Tech behind them, Louisville, and North Carolina. So uh, we're not in the running for the regular season championship. So what our players and coaches are uh, focused on is working on our games so that we can be at our best in the ACC tournament and win our way into the big dance. Yeah, because, because uh, one, uh, like you mentioned, uh, your team's been very responsible, and I feel like and you, you, in every game you're kind of like a play away or a player away uh, from, a, from a big breakthrough. Well, uh, I got my fingers crossed that Chris likes will play uh, Sunday. If he does play and everybody else is healthy, we'll have eight players for the first time in a very long time. And uh, eight players, you know, a, a sub at each position. You know, if Nan starts at the center position and Dengak backs him up, uh, we have Elijah, who's been playing both the three and the four. So if he plays uh, the four uh, and Anthony Walker can back him up, and then if we have uh, the backcourt that we originally intended to start, who started in game one and two, Chris Likes at the point, uh, Isaiah Wong at the two, Cam Augusti at the three, and Harlan Beverly backing up all three of those guys. We'd have an eight-man team that I'd be very, very comfortable and confident in saying that if we can p- practice more, and play pretty well down the stretch, we could be ready for a nice run in the tournament. Uh, John Rothstein, who, uh, you know, a very uh, uh, big basketball analyst, very credible basketball analyst, he, he put out in one of his social media posts, a healthy Miami would be a ACC championship contender along those lines, which uh, shows you the respect that your team uh, has in terms of the way you've been able to play this year and what you probably would have had. Uh, I did want to ask you before we go, we were talking about Virginia, and uh, you know, teams try, people try to pick them apart. And I look at the numbers, and they're, they're still allowing 60 points per game. So teams can't score again on Virginia. Yeah, again, one of the things that uh, Tony Bennett's been able to do is get older guys. You know, Kihei Clark is an older guy now. He started since his freshman year. They have Jay Huff. I think he's in his either fourth or fifth year. Uh, they, they've got the transfer student from, from Marquette, who's he's in, in either his third or fourth year. Uh, they've got some good young players, but it's those veteran players that, that carry him. All right, so uh, you'll go back to practice, I guess, here in a couple of days, and right when we're you know, to get ready for for Notre Dame, and then uh, head off to South Bend, Indiana, on uh, probably late Saturday. Uh, yep, yeah, we'll we'll uh, practice uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Leave Saturday afternoon after practice. Hit the South Bend and play play Sunday. And uh, the kid Hauser was who I was right. thinking about at Virginia. He's their leading scorer, averaging 15 a game. Jay Huff's right behind him. 
Uh, those are two veteran players. You know, a lot of teams don't have that luxury. I did want to ask you real fast before we go. Uh, Katie Meyer is going to be on the show here in a little bit. She she reached a milestone. She got three hundred wins at the University of Miami. You know you know you know a little something about getting to milestones, but that's a a nice number, three hundred, isn't it? Oh, it's terrific. Katie's a terrific coach. Has always had a terrific basketball program here at Miami. Uh, getting three hundred uh, wins here at Miami is is uh, a terrific accomplishment. Uh, She's, she's an icon here. Everybody loves her. Everybody knows the job that she has done throughout her career. And uh, it's a joy for me and my staff to share the practice facility in the Watsco Center with her and her young ladies each and every day. And congratulations, beating Florida State to yeah. get you 300 is a huge accomplishment, too. By the way, uh, watch the Celtics late last night. That was a tough one against Utah. Utah's pretty darn good, Coach. Utah Jazz. Yeah, I watched the beginning of the of the game. I fell asleep at halftime and didn't get a chance to watch the end. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Celtics are, you know, right around 500. They're 12 and 11 right now. Uh, I think the NBA is, is having its issues. You saw what happened with Kevin Durant. Uh, yeah. not being able to start a game and then join the team and then getting kicked off during the game. Uh, their COVID has created a lot of strange circumstances for coaches and players and teams and organizations to deal with. It's got to be driving the television networks crazy. ESPN uh, supposed to do the game last night. Jay Billis was in town with Sean McDonough. And then, you know, two hours before game time, he gets the word that the game's been uh, postponed or canceled. Right. Well, uh, you're able to navigate a very tough situation on Monday. Uh, so uh, better to uh, err on the side of caution. And uh, your players spoke up, and you and the administration listened to your players. So uh, everybody's to be saluted for that, And in addition to the fact that you have been able to answer the bell for every single game this year. So... Congratulations on that, and the best of luck on Sunday against Notre Dame. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Joe. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm. I'm really proud of our guys because if we had any of our guys, any of the traveling party, had gotten COVID because we played that game Monday night and we brought it back to our campus, I would not only uh, be so disappointed; I'd be sick over that yeah. because we see. Now there's a variant of the COVID-19, several different variants around the world. And if you bring that back to your campus and it spreads, no, maybe the school has to shut down, no more classes. That impacts everybody. It's not about impacting one guy or one game. It can impact an entire university and all its students. Well, there is always a lot. There was a lot of discussion in the off season about you know listening to players, but you have always done that. And my experience being with you and traveling with you, and I knew I just knew I had the picture in my mind what had happened. And then you you spoke about it in our first segment, and I just knew that you were going to uh, listen very carefully to your players, and you did. And uh, listen, future hurricanes and parents of future hurricanes should know that about uh, Jim Laranega. You always will put their well being first and you will always listen to them not only over this but any other issue that comes up 
Hey, Joe, I, I had a funny conversation with a, a reporter from the Toronto Raptors who was covering uh, Dewan Hernandez, and he described me as being kind. <laughs> he said, Coach, I know a lot of coaches who scream and yell and, and you know curse their players and everything. I don't pick you as being that, and I'm, I'm going to describe you as kind. Would that be an accurate description? And I yes. said, uh, you'll have to ask DeWan that. <laughs> but DeWan is in the bubble in Orlando and playing for the Raptors G League team. And, you know, we wish him well. He's a great young man. I'm very, very proud to have him associated with our Miami program. Um, they asked me about the, his recruitment. I said, yeah, he had everybody in the world recruiting him. But all you have to do is check out, I think, one of his first tattoos, and, and you know we had a good chance. And the guy said, what is that? I said, he has a tattoo that says 305. That's our area code. He's a Miami born and bred. Came to our football games when he was in high school. And uh, he's, he's one of the guys that's very, very proud to be a Miami Hurricane. All right, Coach. Uh, best of luck on uh, Sunday, and I'll talk to you Sunday before the game against Notre Dame. Okay, Joe. Thanks, Bunch. All right. That's uh, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega joining us. And uh, you heard, uh, perhaps you heard, if not, you can go to WQAM.com and uh, uh, go to our Rewind, uh, Radio.com Rewind section of Hurricane Hotline. But Coach L laid it all out on what happened uh, Monday in Chapel Hill as the team was getting ready to play against North Carolina. So he laid it out very, very well. When we come back, Don Bailey Jr. joins us next here on the Hurricane Hotline. Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. Joe Zagacki, Don Bailey Jr. Our show is brought to you by Williamson Cadillac. Your premier luxury dealership, Williamson, is Miami. Don, University of Miami football team back on campus. The uh, off-season workouts are going on. Let's talk about this for a moment. Early enrollees and at the top of the list for the University of Miami uh, is the quarterback or his quarterback, Jake Garcia. That's got to be very important to Miami to have uh, Jake Garcia in early. You know, Joe, I like the fact that he's in early, even if he doesn't play one snap this season. You're going to get yourself an extra semester of of education. You're going to go through a spring practice. You're going to have off-season conditioning. And you're, you're, you're actually almost going to gain, in my opinion, you know, a full year of experience because you'll, once the season starts, you'll have your routine down, you'll have your meetings down, you'll be familiar with the classrooms, the school, you'll be over and homesick. You've got all these million things that, that freshmen have to overcome. He'll do that when, no, when there's no games that count. And I think that's such a huge advantage, not only for him, but for anybody and everybody. And really, it gives you a half a year more of eligibility. So it's almost like catching a, you know, a half a red shirt. And I think it's a great way for these players who graduate early and are able to come in and, and get a head start on everybody else. 
Who knows, he might have to play against Alabama, which we'll get to in a moment. Seven early enrollees and then three transfers come in early as well. One of the early enrollees, Michael McLaughlin, is an offensive lineman. So that's right in your wheelhouse. It is, Joe, and the same the same rules apply. I think, you know, the quarterback side of it, every, there is a physical side, but a lot of it's academic. But now you go and you go to the offensive line, there's the biggest adjustment ever is on the physical side because you're seeing speed that you haven't seen in high school. You're seeing size that you have no uh, understanding of because you never saw one snap of it. So when the, the – half a dozen days or the de- a dozen days that they're in pads and the fact that you're able to get into a spring game and feel the speed and the strength of these players, it makes a huge difference. By the way, speaking of the spring, it's going to start on March the 13th. That'll be the first uh, spring practice, March 13th for the University of Miami, and we'll run through the middle of April, either April 10th or 17th. Uh, they're still waiting to get some clarification on some recruiting issues nationwide and how that will affect whether or not there'll be a spring game or a spring game that fans can attend. But spring football will run during March and April. Well, yeah, you know, I think we're still in that fluid mindset where you have to be adaptable. And and we we got the schedule. We understand what everybody wants to do. But COVID's going to dictate what really happened. And I think that that's something that um, – I hope is not a part of all of next season or, or as far as the regular season goes, but we very well maybe have to deal with some of that again. And it's, it's no surprise. Unfortunately or fortunately, every college football team in America has had to, to learn how to adjust on the fly. And, and I don't think this spring is going to be any different. One of the uh, early enrollees, is Chase Smith. His name might be familiar. His dad really played tight end at the University of Miami. Chase Smith is a striker, so he's a legacy player and supposed to be a whale of a defensive player. He is, Joe. I I like the fact that he was actually a two-way player. He's up there from the Treasure Coast, and um, I actually was on a team with his dad. His dad did did a heck of a job at Miami and very athletic and the thing about Chase is he's going to – that striker position has become really a forceful position for Miami. It's, you know, it's that hybrid linebacker safety type spot, but we see how productive they can be there. That You've got to be athletic, but you've got to have the skill set to where you can really get in there and take hits and give a hit. You've got to face offensive linemen partially. You've got to deal with the wide receivers and tight ends, make sure that you can coverage. So you, you look for – a super athletic guy to come in and help at that spot. His dad, by the way, when you start mentioning tight ends, for some reason his father gets lost in in uh, all the tight ends at the University of Miami. But Willie Smith was a great tight end, held a lot of the records of uh, season records and uh, catches in-game for a long time. I think it was the 85 Maryland game at Maryland. He had might have had a 10-catch game, but his dad was a heck of a tight end. Yeah, I, you're right. I think it was a double-digit day, and his dad was, you know, Glenn Dennison. Glenn Dennison, who came before him, was very athletic as well. But Willie, you know, had a, the ability to block. He was, he he was that true hybrid um, that really came into play under Howard Schnellenberger, where Howard, you know, used the tight end almost exclusively. Sometimes brought that from the National Football League, and it certainly helped win a national championship in '83. And and then Willie, you know, came in and 
and was able to, to upgrade that spot as far as athleticism goes. But he, you still have to block, and you still have got to be able to, to play the role of a tight end at the line, end of the line of scrimmage, and, and Willie did a great job of that. Um, for the University of Miami, a lot of guys have come back, so they're going to have uh, the holdovers for the first time in a long time, holdovers. And uh, one of those holdovers is going to be Amari Carter. So that gives Miami all of their safeties back. Amari Carter, Gervin Hall, Bubba Bolden. And uh, so, plus, you'll have uh, a five-star freshman coming in. They'll have great competition. They should have some answers in their, in their deep secondary. Well, I think answers come in college football with experience. And as you mentioned, you've got a lot of returnees that would not normally be here. And I think it's very beneficial for the University of Miami to be in a position right now where they've got so much experience and especially with the, the game opener against Alabama, you're, you're going to go against, you know, a, a national championship team that has done nothing but reload in Nick Saban's era. And I don't anticipate anything different, but you've got guys that, that were on a team that faced Clemson on the road. And I know this is supposed to be a neutral site game. I wouldn't say that. I, I don't think it's going to be neutral for Miami. But they, they, there's guys that have played against the number one team in America uh, eight games ago, and that's going to help because you realize the tempo that you have to play at, the explosiveness that you'll be facing. And also, you've been in the big ring before. You've been in the 15-rounder with the world champ, and, and that's that pays off. You know how to act, and you know what it takes to win. Okay, our way-too-early look at Alabama. This will be fun in the offseason. And... I would advise anybody that's going to play Alabama perhaps to look at it this way. Alabama is the Harvard of football. They're not – I don't know that Alabama is recruiting anymore as much as they are selecting and, and athletes are trying to get into Alabama like they do at Harvard. You know at Harvard, in order to get in this past year, there were 40,248 applications. 1,980 got it in. That's 4%, per, 4%, a little over 4%. And the reason I bring that up is Alabama, Don, I think of all the people that are being recruited, they are recruiting the upper 3%. If you look at their roster, and plus their profile, they uh, if you're not six feet tall, you can't play at Alabama unless you've got some other superhuman element. If you're not six feet tall, you're not playing at Alabama. They have they have like six guys on their entire roster under six feet tall. See, Joe, I've had a dilemma my whole life. Now I realize why I couldn't get into Harvard. I was at 5%, not 4%. I'm glad you – it's taken a, long, a lifetime to get that cleared up, but thank you. I feel so – so much better now. Yeah, if you want to go, if you want to go to Harvard, by the way, you almost need to get a perfect SAT. The, the, off of sixteen hundred, they take they only started fifteen eighty. So in Alabama, I was three times. I've had to take it three times. I would have never taken it. But I read this article the other day of the top prospects in Dayton Broward County, and a handful of them were three star players that said they were being recruited by Alabama. I got news for you. If you're a three star player, you ain't being recruited by Alabama. And if you're under six feet tall, you're not being recruited by Alabama. And if you're an offensive lineman that's under six foot three, three hundred and forty pounds, you're not being recruited by Alabama. They have guidelines. 
and they have boxes to check. And they, it's a mutual love affair with the recruiting of the University of Alabama and the players that want to go there. They're, they, and you, you're 100% correct. Nick Saban's not taken anything that does not fit the size, speed, strength ratio. You're not taking five foot nine corners, no matter how great you are. They're not taking five foot uh, six receivers, no matter how, what production they have. They're not. They've got. They've got a standard that they recruit to, and they stay with it. And then they are fortunate enough to to get the players that are hungry enough to realize that they're going to face probably better competition. 70% of the time at practice than they are on the playing field. So at the end of the day, you're going to leave Alabama have faced the best competition in all of college football, not three or four weeks a year or maybe one game a year, but every single day that you are at the University of Alabama. And you've got to continue to either step up and get better or you're going to get left behind. So that, that's a great analogy by you, and, and that a, a, gives everybody a, a wonderful way to look at it and understand that they are cherry-picking who they recruit, and they weed out a lot of people before they even say hello to them by the size-speed ratio that they depend on. The first thing that Alabama wins when you play them, regardless of the opponent, the first thing they win is the weigh-in. They come on the field. Let me just let me just give you their offensive line returners. You ready? Coming back, six foot three, three fifteen, six seven, three sixty, six three, three twenty four, six four, three twenty five. That's where they start. And the beauty, if there is such a thing for guys that big, only I would think that the beauty of that is most of them. Most of their players have come in close to that size. Yeah. You know, we have we've seen great success with Zion Nelson. Zion Nelson and I, I remember vividly the first day of practice. You and I were were out there, and I pointed to him. I said, "Joe, this kid's got it." Now it's going to take him till this year and probably next year to be. A very, very, very good football player came in and, you know, I don't know what the real number was. He looked like he was 235 or 240, but it's going to take him four or five years to get to the standard that Alabama recruits at when the kids are freshmen. So, you know, you've got two sides of the coin, the Miami side and the rest of really almost all of college football, except probably Clemson and Ohio State. And then a, once in a while, the two be determined, they've got to you've got to grow your team. You've got to get bigger. You've got to get stronger. You've got to make it. Uh, you've got to make it where these kids want to stay and play and develop. Alabama, they they're a plug and play, and you understand what's expected to of you physically and mentally when you hit the door. Alabama, by the way, uh, will lose ten players off of their two deep from when they played Ohio State. Six on offense, four on defense. But all those players, other than the quarterback, Mac Brown, all those guys were interchangeable parts. They were, you can call them starters or part-time starters, whatever you want. They were all interchangeable parts. So the guys that left are being replaced by guys of equal value or greater. So Miami's got six months. They better lift a lot of weights. 
<laughs> everybody who plays Alabama, that's the, that's the talk. And, and I like playing this game first. I, I like it for um, – I don't love it, but I like it. I like that it's going to get teams' attention. I like it that it's going to be uh, an eye-opener. Uh, it's early enough in the season where you can overcome any obstacle that the game presents. But Alabama – is one of the teams in America, one of the few teams in America, that if you peel the name off the back of the jersey, you, you, everybody looks the same who goes in. If there, if there was no number, you wouldn't know that they changed somebody in or they changed somebody out. And, and that's because of how much they stretch the weight room and they stress conditioning and they stretch the size and the speed. But it's, uh, it's going to be a heck of an opportunity. You know, you'll hear me say this probably a hundred times, but, uh, you know, Howard Schnellenberger called these advanced training games, and you you got to play these games. This is a game you have to play, and if you're competitive, which if you're not, you shouldn't be in college football, you'll want to play this game. This isn't a game where Miami's going to, oh, we're playing Alabama, I wish we weren't. It's the opposite. You know, you've got to want to be up against the best and, and see how you hold up. And I think that's the beauty of, of college football is you can schedule games like this um, and you can still go on and, and win your conference. That is our way too early look at Alabama. All right, Don, we'll talk later. Okay. All right, that's uh, Don Bailey Jr. Don't forget, season tickets on sale for the University of Miami. 1-800-GO-KINGS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.